0: Culture Map Presents. What's, What's Eric, Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map Food Editor, Eric Sandler.
1: Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Maps weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map Food Editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Austin Simmons from Trist's. And Jordan Beeman from Heartbrand Ranch coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Fluff Bake Bar in Midtown. Becky Masson, welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: I'm good, living the dream.
1: (laughs) Glad to hear it. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Good news for two of my personal uh, favorite bartenders. Lindsay Ray and Billy Boyd of Grand Prize are teaming up to open a new establishment in Midtown called Two-Headed Dog. And, you know, it's still kind of coming it's going to open by the end of the month and it's still a little bit coming together, but they they variously described it as having a 70s honky-tonk vibe and or a grandpa's pool hall vibe. Grand
2: p- Grand Prize Pool Hall? No,
1: grandpa's pool. Hall. Oh, grandpa. Grandfather's
2: pool. Hall. Oh, grandpa. I got you, grandpa. First of all, Lindsay Wright and Billy Boyd sound like they should be, like, Nashville country stars.
1: They, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, you're, I don't think of you as a big bar goer. Are you a grand prize person at all?
2: I used to be. You
1: know Lindsay or, <laughs> Billy's been there forever. Billy's, Billy's been, there been there since, forever. like, the first week. Yeah,
2: I mean, I know them because of being in industry. Sure. Um, I, I feel like they've been in the bakery a couple times, too. Um. But, yeah, no, um, yeah, when I did go to bars, it's Grand Prize was, yeah, I'm an old lady now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I have five children at the bakery. Yes. I'm uh, their mom. I clean, up. <laughs> I clean up after them. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, Grand Prize was it. So, I mean, I feel like anybody mm-hmm. coming out of that environment and creating the environment that they're talking about, you know, I'll go have a drink.
1: Yeah, and they have some plans to kind of expedite service. It's going to be relatively small inside and then have kind of a big patio.
2: Which is so hot right now. Yeah. Not temperature, but like...
1: Right, patio bars in general. Yes. This will be a little more... I think this will be a little more understated than like your Holman draft halls and present companies of the world. Yes. Yes. But, you know, so they're going to have...
2: Which most I think most people in our industry prefer.
1: Yeah. Something a little tamer.
2: Not so... Not Wrong. so,
1: right. It doesn't need to have a whole bunch of neon signs on the walls. It doesn't need to have a, a Ferris wheel.
2: Dive bars are always way more fun than like.
1: Yeah. And Grand Prize does bars. that. Like Grand Prize isn't really a dive bar. No. Because it has like a cocktail menu and. and the environment know. is diving. But it has a kind of a, yeah, come as you are, very welcoming, divey atmosphere. Yeah. And I think they're going to, they're going to put their spin on that. But still, respect like making good cocktails, and they'll have some frozens, and they'll have a couple. Of, they'll have a few draft cocktails, and a few shaken, and a few stirred. But you know, all of it's designed to be. Didn't I see a bottle executed quickly? Too? Yes, a bottled cocktail that you'll be able to get Ryan in Rouse, buckets.
2: Ryan Rouse made this bottled corpse reviver for one of the Lucky Dog dinners. It was seriously like the best thing I'd ever have. So I'm totally looking forward to a bottled cocktail.
1: Yeah, and they know obviously they they worked for Ryan at Grand Prize. They know Ryan, Ryan's helping them out a little bit behind the scenes. I know they've, you know, Lindsay's also worked at Poison Girl for a long time, so I know like Scott and Don are giving her some advice. So, you know, these are these are two bartenders from, with like very good pedigrees. Right. And they're not going to mess this up. I don't think so. No. No. I'm excited.
2: I am too. And they've got good people that have multiple businesses that understand running a business behind them, like helping them. So that's the most important is like, yeah, you can make great cocktails, but can you run the business? And they've so sought out people that are established and know the game and know how to put everything together.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, Lindsay, Lindsay talked about, you know, building the business in such a way that you don't just give yourself a job. Yeah. Cause she already has a job. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Something that's sustainable, something you can walk away from periodically. Yes, you know, just something that's that's, you know, a business, not you know, a, a functional business, not. Um, it's not, not, not a, a day hum- job. No. <laughs> a job. No,
2: it's a twenty four seven job.
1: No, it's a twenty four seven job, but but building it in a sustainable way. So you know, yeah, like,
2: yeah, no, 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 that's and that's really smart, and that's impressive that they are taking those steps before it even all starts to happen. Yeah. I'm excited.
1: Me too. Yeah. All right. Oh, and a two pound margarita for two. Wait, what? They're going to have a mark. Like one of their cocktails is going to be a margarita for two. Oh,
2: my God. I'm sorry. Tequila and I broke up a long time ago. Oh, sorry.
1: I love tequila. (laughs) I'm So, all right. I won't be splitting that with you then, but I will find I will find someone to split that. I bet Miss
2: Salinas would be happy to step in there.
1: Indeed. And she's a she's a Midtown resident. This is going to be right in her wheelhouse.
2: Yes. This will,
1: this can be your after work spot.
2: Perfect. There you go. Two pound margaritas with Eric every Tuesday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Topic number two. Loam Agronomics has suspended its customer facing portion of its farming operation. So this is a this is a massive farm out in Richmond, Texas. It's mm-hmm. tied to a housing development, or or was parceled out from land purchased for housing development. Now, you know Loam. Well, anyone who's gone to the farmer's market knows them as one of the the booths every Saturday. They had a pretty popular CSA, community-supported agriculture program, where you could get a weekly basket of fresh produce. And then you know them because they, an affiliated company related to Loam, put on Chef Fest, which Mm -hmm. was this kind of fun fall festival that's happened for the last couple of years. Yes. Let me I mean I know you are like maybe the wrong person like buying local is not like really a priority right there's no local flour.
2: No, I mean there I could get from Barton Springs but it's too a little too expensive for what we're doing. Sure. Um when I like when we do bake sales and chef dinners um I do reach out to local produce and local farmers and cheese and whatever else I can get to do to make those products with on an everyday basis. No, I mean, you can't, it's like I had a discussion with someone one day, you can't tell the difference between a case of eggs that cost $50 and a case of eggs that cost $25 in a chocolate chip cookie.
1: Right. You know. You could in like an omelet.
2: Yes, you could in, and and then that's the case where... You know, if somebody's doing an egg-based dish at a bake sale, we'll go like Three Sisters or sure. something like that. But, but I did, um, I participated in Chef Fest the first year. Um, <clears throat> And then I did, you know, like when we were doing, when carrots were in season, we'd get carrots from them. And, you know, I did what I could.
1: Right, right. I mean, I right, I, you know, famously, or maybe not so famously, am not much of a home cook. Right, I'm always going out, so yeah, I don't. You know, I'm I'm not a potential customer for a CSA, but I had visited the farm. I had uh, two of the guys who who ran the business on the podcast uh, a while ago. I, I I guess you know my like, I guess what I I don't really know, and I don't know if you have an opinion about this is is this were there were there problems specific to Loam that kind of brought them to this point where they. They're going to go away for anywhere from three months to a year while they make some improvements to the farm. They want to add electricity, water, and sewage so they can do things like host farm dinners, which makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, and then, you know, just like recover financially from some of the losses they've suffered from Hurricane Harvey and some other environmental factors. But so let me. So I say all that to say this Is, is this. Are these problems specific to loam, or is this an indication that a lot of these other, like local farming operations, are going to have similar problems? I mean, is can we make can we make local farming profitable at a price that people are willing to pay for the the end products of the the produce or the dishes in the restaurants or whatever?
2: Um, I don't. I mean, if you look at the farmer's market, you look who's always there. What do you got? Atkinson. Uh, sure. And what's Gitas? Animal Farm? Yep. Um, Wood Duck? Is that, yeah. Is that, I think it's yeah. race Robles.
1: Yeah. yeah. These, like you've uh, got
2: all these people that are there every week. They have the produce. They have it in large amounts. The one thing I noticed from Loam, and I would get the emails every week of what they had available and it wasn't very much. It wasn't a huge selection. Obviously, certain times of the year it was bigger. But it just wasn't a cons- – like, Covey Rise delivers berries and peaches and melons to me every week, right?
1: Right. That's out of Louisiana, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. I know what I'm getting. The I quality have used- is consistent. The quality is consistent. If it's not, like, if it's a bad strawberry week, they'll be like, yo, it's a bad strawberry week. And I'll be like, oh, I'm just pickling them. It'll be fine, right? Um, they're always there Tuesday at 9 a.m. Um, I don't think I've ever had them say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't deliver it because I don't have it. Um, I usually, they usually text me the day before or Sunday. Um, whereas with loam, it was like, oh, we have carrots and, well, just because I can't remember, carrots and beets. That's it. That's all we got. Right? Whereas Loam sends me a list of like 50, or I mean, Covey rice, right. Sends me a list of like 50 things. And the same thing with Atkinson. Um, we get, you know, we'll go there. and get, It's hard for me to go to the farmer's market on Saturday mornings because of bake sales. But when I really, when I do, you know, it's during strawberry season. So it's, they didn't have a lot to choose from. And I think that's a huge problem, and maybe led to the issues with the CSA. I mean, I would feel like if I'm a CSA customer, I want a selection of more than like two vegetables in my de- delivery every week.
1: Right. And, and you know, I mean, I know we get into kind of late summer and then it's all, you know, it's all okra and all beets. And there's not, you know, May, June is kind of the fun time for mm-hmm. local farms because you get strawberries and tomatoes and peaches come in and all this other stuff. And then late summer is like... Really tough. Right. So in some ways, suspending operations now kind of makes sense because this is, this is the time when, you know, nobody wants local produce or local produce is, is more limited.
2: Right. But if I am signing up for a CSA program and I have a family of four that I cook for every week and I'm relying on. This, right. There's only variety. so many
1: times you're going to get the family to eat beets.
2: Exactly. So that could be one of the issues you're looking at is there's not a great selection I know they were having, like, issues before even announced. Like, this was, what, when was the first Chef Fest? Two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. You know, even then it was like, oh, we have carrots and beets and, I don't know, potatoes. I don't know.
1: Right, and you could tell because when you went to Chef Fest, like, all the dishes had carrots.
2: Yeah, everything that. had carrots. Yeah. So it was it was interesting. Um, but it's... I I really do wish them the best and hope that they do figure it out because it is nice to be able to have a farm so close to us, and be yeah,
1: able and to, I think it's valuable to be able to, you know, as a consumer to be able to go to the farm and see it right yeah. and see the produce growing and know that what do you to
2: what you call it pick strawberries or blueberries anyways, but it's Froberg Froberg right, Frober, yeah, like. How cool is that? I just it was like um, Marco from Dolce Neve just posted a post. Went to Fredericksburg, got some peaches, came back, peeled mm-hmm. and made the sorbet. 4 hours later serving peach mm. sorbet. Like how freaking amazing is that?
1: Right. That's the, that's when local produce is right. Like that's living the dream, right? You yeah. get you get the freshest possible stuff. You know that it's made to a certain standard and and it's not being you know, it's not a week old trucked in and sprayed with whatever chemicals to keep it fresh from California. Exactly. All right. Topic number three: California sandwich shop Mendocino Farms has set the opening date for the first of their four Houston locations. Four? It, yeah, it will. Uh, we'll get to that. It will arrive in Rice Village on July 18th. Uh, you go to California some, so I was actually just wondering if you'd ever been there.
2: I've been to like California like twice. Okay. <laughs> I just happened, the last trip happened to be all over California. Uh, No, I haven't ever been there, and it's probably, I probably won't ever go here.
1: You won't go to Mendocino Farms? Probably not. Why not?
2: That's not a sandwich. Like, that's just some, you know, highfalutin California wannabe... Fancy. But
1: people bitched me all the time that there's no good sandwiches. Because there aren't it.
2: any. There aren't any good sandwiches. Don't you dare say East, East Hampton sa- Sandwich Company. I had one of those. It was terrible. And <laughs> I'm probably, I'm sorry for saying that. But it was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay, I'm just going to say it. That fried bologna sandwich from Turkey and the Wolf at Canada Day at Rial was amazing. Okay,
1: what made that amazing and what, like, what are you looking for in a successful sandwich?
2: Okay, there's – that one in particular, there was like no fuss, right? I mean the fanciest thing on there I think is the Duke's mayonnaise. Right. Right? There's potato chips on it. There's lettuce. There's fried bologna. There's American fromage as he calls it. They had good bread. Um, It just – it was no – there's nothing snotty about it, right? It's just a good sandwich. When I think of a sandwich – so we used to live in Dallas, right? And there's the great outdoors – And they had a sandwich, I think it's called the Great Outdoorsman, right? And it just had all the meats on it, lettuce, which they put oil and vinegar, you know, the green spices. Like, that's a sandwich.
1: See, my problem, so my problem is that this is all a little bit lost on me because I grew up eating Jewish deli sandwiches. Those
2: are sandwiches. Yeah,
1: but it's basically a pile of meat on rye bread, maybe with lettuce, tomato, and mustard. Right, like it's really just about the meat. Like there and was the not.
2: There's nothing. I love going to Specs Deli and getting a sandwich. That's a sandwich. Okay, like avocado schmear and heirloom tomatoes with a you know balsamic vinaigrette and farm-forged goat cheese. And I mean, you know, get over yourself. That's not a sandwich.
1: People are excited. I mean, people are excited about this place. It's backed by so the reason they're opening for them is because they have uh, whole Foods. investment money from Whole Foods. Yeah. So Rice Village Ultimately is first. At Amazon, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it was, I think Whole Foods made the investment before they got bought by Amazon. But yes, um, Rice Village is first, Uptown Park is next. Then I there's Downtown per- and then the Heights.
2: I think all of those places, but the Heights is perfect.
1: Yeah, it'll do. I mean, it'll do a and lunch business in all of those
2: spots. Yeah. Downtown will probably love it.
1: Oh, for sure. It's something new. Yeah. They're probably dying for some It's day. in the same, and it's in the same building as Prelude Coffee and Tea, which I, I think is 609 Main. Okay. So kind of like right in the heart of the CBD, like on the tunnel. There you go. Easy lunch access, yada, yada, yada.
2: Yeah. It's probably um, a lighter lunch than, let's say, Tree Birds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything is a lighter lunch <laughs> than tree, Like, I love Tree When oh I go God. downtown, if I'm downtown at lunchtime, that is definitely on the... I haven't had
2: Treebird since I worked at the Alden because it was right across the street in the yeah, church. I
1: missed when the Culture Map, the, one of the only detriments to the Culture Map office not being downtown anymore tree is birds. that I can't go to Treebird's anymore. I can't go to Treebird's and I can't go to Duzo for dumplings.
2: I mean, that chicken fried chicken.
1: Just the freaking shrimp etouffee with a piece of cornbread and that diner cake.
2: Yeah, so good. All right. All of it. We, we have, have lost the plot. We have.
1: Um, all right. So I'll, no, go,
2: I'll go try it once. Okay. I won't be a naysayer right off the bat. But it's not a sandwich. You know you know what I'm trying to say?
1: No, I really don't.
2: Like y- It's, you it's eating?
1: meat and toppings between bread. How is it not a sandwich?
2: It's all fancy. You don't have to be fancy to make a sandwich.
1: People want that.
2: Okay. Well, then more power to them. Okay. It's not my kind of sandwich. Fair enough. I mean, I am completely happy with a sandwich from Specs' Deli.
1: I mean, I get my... You know, I had Kenny and Ziggy's for dinner a couple of nights ago. This is my, there you, you know, go. give me a, give me a pastrami. I eat pastrami peanut butter and around. jelly
2: sandwiches all the time. And I am not fan. I mean, I am particular about my peanut butter and my jelly, but that's a sandwich. All
1: right. Yeah. But nobody's going to pay money for a PB&J. I would. All right. <laughs> there you go. Entrepreneurs of, entrepreneurs of Houston. There you go. <laughs> all right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around.
2: It's not a sandwich.
0: You're listening to What's Eric Eating?
1: Uh, Becky, for our restaurant of the week, we are going to talk about Taste Bar and Kitchen. This is one of your new neighbors in Midtown. It replaced Sterling House on Bagby, just north of where Westheimer becomes Elgin.
2: I could have walked.
1: It's really hot outside. I would yeah, not recommend walking.
2: That's what that's why I didn't. Uh I probably should have Ubered cuz that valet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Chef Chef Don uh you know, I think it's Bowie but it could be Bowie.
2: I think it is Bowie but it does look it looks like Bowie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is like yeah. Anyway, uh Chef Don is a uh he's been around for a little while. He he was on the Opening crew for that hot second when Sweetie Pies, the uh, soul food restaurant, thought they were going to open in Houston. Yeah, and then he was the opening chef at Flower Child before he went off on his own. Who was Flower Child? Flower Child is part of uh, Fox Restaurants. They're in Uptown Park. That's right. Healthy eating. There's now one in the Woodlands. Yeah. Bowls, you know, plates.
2: They'll fit in perfect with Mendocino Park.
1: <laughs> they, it's 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 lighter and brighter in Uptown Park these days. We haven't Sorry. even we didn't even talk about uh, the changes that McCormick and Schmick's, and we're not going to. We're going to talk about yep. Taste Bar and Kitchen. So the the basic conceit of the restaurant for anyone who hasn't heard of this is that it's chick is like variations on chicken and waffles. Yeah. So, with all that said, what did you what did you think of Taste?
2: Um, well, you made a reservation. I did. Uh, and I think we waited 20 a good 15, minutes, yeah. 15, 20 minutes for the table. Yeah. Uh, and then we got seated upstairs in the bar area.
1: Where we, they were having an alumni happy hour for uh, a group of uh, Aggies. Uh,
2: very Very out. loud Aggies. It was very, like the waiter, the manager, you and I, everyone was screaming so we could hear each other. Yeah. It was not
1: not an ideal environment.
2: Not very them. pleasant. It was almost like I'd rather just sit here and be quiet than try and yell at you. Um, the, we didn't
1: text each other the conversation, but it, oh, the, it we didn't came even think
2: the, of that. <laughs> My God, that would have been kind of genius. Um, it's it's tight quarters up there, uh, but um, the manager was super nice, and I think you got spotted. I think I did. I, yeah,
1: I wasn't. I wasn't really sure whether or not I was going to get spotted, and then, you know, obviously, if if the manager, uh, he made quite a little fuss. He made a little bit of a fuss, and then Chef Don, like I know Chef Don, I've interviewed him before. We judged a cooking uh, chef competition once before, so he came over. So at some point, we were definitely spotted.
2: Yeah, he's um, really really nice guy. Um, Yeah, has has a love for Joey Victorian. Shout out. Um but the service
1: was Service was good. The, the server was, good. was enthusiastic.
2: She was way enthusiastic.
1: Knew the cute. menu, yeah. had good recommendations. I mean, mm-hmm. well she tried to upsell us on a $25 order of lamb chops, but yeah, other yeah. than that, no. uh but but knew the menu. You know, I thought I thought that was all. That was all pretty on spec.
2: Yeah. I think the food was good.
1: I was pleasantly like if you tell me there's a chicken and waffle restaurant, I automatically You think it's think that it's going to be gimmicky,
2: and it wasn't.
1: No, it wasn't. We had you had a General Tso's chicken Uh and waffle, and and the General Tso's chicken had that right kind of sweet and sour thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. waffle was cooked nicely, crispy on the edges, fluffy in the middle.
2: Very much so. Super cute too. Little like
1: yeah, little mini waffles,
2: silver dollar, but like like an inch high. Yeah, at least. Yeah, no, no, and the mac. We had the gouda. Bacon mac and cheese, which was tasty.
1: Yeah, I would I would get that again. I had shrimp and grits. The grits which were was nice as big and creamy. As your head. They yeah, the portion was huge. There were it was twenty one dollars, and there were six or seven really good sized shrimp in there. I feel I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, huge and portion of grits. The,
2: um, I had you had a cocktail. Would you have that? Yeah, I had
1: a spicy Paloma that was like dusted with. It tasted like it reminded me of. Like Bloody Mary kind of mix, salt. or you know, spicy, spicy salt. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't work for me. I, I mean, just, I want to taste when I get a Paloma. I want to taste tequila and grapefruit in that order. <laughs> yes. And neither like it was all covered up by the salt.
2: Uh, yeah, I just had they had a, they have a nice selection of champagne.
1: Yeah, you had a sparkling rosé that I that looked good. It
2: was tasty. I drank they it.
1: They didn't charge us a whole ton of money for it either.
2: That's good. There were some other cocktails going out that looked pretty creative. I think I saw like a, a you know, that stick of sugar you put in your coffee. Yeah. On one drink, um, some like fresh flowers on another drink. So the presentation looked really nice.
1: Yeah, I thought the presentation overall was good. I, I mean, I like I said, I think we spent, we spent what about eighty dollars on dinner mm-hmm. for two with, and that included we got a dessert. Oh, we got we got uh, bread pudding.
2: Like the fried waffle. Fried, bread Yeah, p-
1: fried waffle bread pudding. That it was, hurt my teeth. It was very sweet, but oh it was God. like curious. I couldn't stop eating it.
2: No, I had two bites, I will say. I went back for a second bite just to see if that initial bite was what it was. But that's, that's, I get like people probably ordered the crap out of that because hello, fried bread pudding, waffle. I mean, we sell the crap out of bread pudding when we make it. So people love that stuff.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I, I mean, overall, um, I'm pretty impressed by taste.
2: I would. I'd like to go and sit downstairs. I or would definitely
1: request sitting downstairs.
2: Or in the fall, sit outside. Yeah,
1: they have a really nice patio, uh first floor and second floor. Yes. And yeah. those would be better when it's not so hot out.
2: Right. TVs for sports. Yeah. You were teaching me the finer points of poker.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, they had a, <laughs> a poker broadcast on. Yes.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I would definitely like to go back. I definitely Um, I think I mean, when I'm in the mood for chicken and waffles, it'll be a good fill-in there. Um, it wasn't pretentious; it was just delicious. Um, I think the chef has done like pretty smart things with the menu. Um, he has some baller choices, like lobster fried fried chicken, lobster waffle, something like that. Um, there's a vegan waffle, uh, yeah,
1: which is pretty impressive considering vegan. You would expect that it would need to be made with. At least eggs, right? You would make a waffle with,
2: right? I think you. Well, these days you can use um, aquafaba. I learned that out. Okay. Don't tell anybody. I made some vegan cookies the other day.
1: How dare you? Yeah, I know. All right, so I didn't tell you I wanted to ask you about this. It's not related to the. It's not related to taste, but okay. You're on Netflix. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're on an episode <laughs> of. You're on an episode of the Chef Show, which is Roy Choi and John Favreau's new Netflix series, making s'mores with Aaron Franklin.
2: Um. Yes. that was So that happened at the very first hot luck three years ago. So Aaron texted me, says, hey, I'm putting together this festival. Do you want to come do it? And I was like, heck yeah. And then, you know, we got all that situated. And then he says, hey, I'm going to do this thing Wednesday night at the Mohawk. Thurston Moore is playing. I thought we could make some Thurston s'mores. And I went.
1: Sonic Youth, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, heck yeah. Then he texts me, he goes, Hey, my friend John Favreau and Roy Choi are gonna be there filming. Are you okay with that? And I wrote back, stop asking me stupid questions. <laughs> and and at the time I don't know that the chef show was like fully an idea yet.
1: Right. But you know who John Favreau and Roy Choi are.
2: Uh yeah. Yeah. I okay. think I watched the segment and I think I'm trying so hard not to be starstruck that I'm a little goofy. <laughs> 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 um but yeah, it was it was um it was way cool. And then the next night at um, the Hi, How Are You, John was there. And he was really into Like, you see him learning how to cut the brisket on the episode. And he was really into I was like, hi, Mr. Favreau. And he's like, hi. And I was like, oh, he doesn't remember me. <laughs> we shared a moment over s'mores. Like, my heart was broken.
1: Well, for what it's worth, the s'mores look very good.
2: Well, I tell you what, like 10 minutes later, I see out of the corner of my eye, and he beelines it over. And he's like, I can't stop thinking about the s'mores. And I was like, yes.
1: So you did have your moment.
2: We did. So we talked about – he was showing me all these breads he's been making, and we talked about baked goods. And then I said, do you want the recipe for the s'mores? And he said, would you please? And I said, absolutely. He says, I don't mean to be an asshole, but that's my guy. Ask him for my information. Um, so Roy Choi, I gave a Baked with Hate shirt, so he has one. And then I sent – um, t-shirts and cookies and recipes to John and his family. Awesome. Yeah, I have a postcard on the refrigerator. It says "Thanks for the sweets and the T-shirts, John Favreau. Nice. Yeah, I'm really. I, you know, I'm proud of that one. Yeah,
1: I think he's mostly known for the Marvel movies at this point. But I, I being old, will always think swingers. of him as swingers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being with me
2: on that. Yeah, I mean that's when we all learned about John Favreau.
1: All right. Uh, before you get out of here, what's what's coming up at Flip Bake Bar? What's, uh...
2: um, oh, oh we have um, Dominic Lee from Pochin this weekend for the Great. bake sale. And then next weekend, we have Leanne Smith from Piece of Meat Butcher in New Orleans. She was just named, uh, or her restaurant was just named one of Food & Wine's best new restaurants. Awesome. Um, she's super tight with like Mason and Bo Schooler, and that's how we met. And I just emailed her. She goes, I've been waiting for this message. <laughs> I was like, yes. So I think it's going to be amazing. That's going to be fun.
1: Yeah. All right. Becky Mastin, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And I will be right back with Austin Simmons and Jordan Beeman.
0: You're listening to What's Eric Eating?
1: I'm joined this week by Chef Austin Simmons of Tris in the Woodlands and Jordan Beeman of Heartbrand Ranch. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so that people can hear your voices. Austin, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, sir. Thanks for having me, Eric. Jordan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming. Austin, let me start with you. It's been not quite a year since you turned Hubble & Hudson Bistro into Tris. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple question with a complicated answer. How's it going?
3: <laughs> you know, we're, we're pretty blessed, Eric. We, we put together the right team. I think we have the right concept, and uh, it's been super well received. We've had a really busy year. Um, you know, we close Sundays and Mondays, and are only open uh, five days a week now, so Tuesday through Saturday. Um, and we've we've been way on top of last year, only open five days instead of seven. Um, so it's been interesting to, to cram all that into five days. Uh, but we're blessed, and it's been really well received. And Thanks to some great partners like Jordan, um, I think we're doing some really cool stuff up north.
1: Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. I mean, how did Jordan? I guess why don't I start with you? I mean, because you guys have introduced a new right. You sell Akahushi cattle. I think people are people may be familiar with that brand name. The the it's a well, I, I should ask you to define it. It's a it's a it's an Angus Wagyu hybrid. Is that correct?
0: Not not specifically ang. I mean, we sell Heart Brand Beef, which is an ang- which is an Akaushi based program, fifty percent Akaushi verified by DNA, at least fifty percent. So a minimum uh fifty percent Akaushi. Some of them are, are full akaushi uh, as well. And the other the other half is is domestic cattle. So our, our predominant beef that we sell is young steer and heifer, corn finished beef. That's our our main program. Right.
1: And by young you mean kind of eighteen months to two years. That's right?
0: right. Yeah, yeah. Give or take two years, yes, sir.
1: Okay but you, that is not the only kind of beef you sell, or at least you've introduced a new program, which is actually why you're here.
0: That's right. Yeah. So the new program Heartbrand X, uh, still only being sold to Trist. So, so chef Austin and, and I developed it. So in terms of, of overall beef offering, it's a very, very small and limited offering that we have, but something that, that chef Austin and I have been working on for, I guess the better part of three years to try and bring this program to market. And, uh, I've actually been blown away by the response that the uh, that his customers have had to the product and, and how well Chef has, has done with it. Right. So we should
1: define what HeartBrand X is. So instead of cows that are about two years old, these cows are 10 years old.
0: That's right. These cows live to about 10 years of age. So so HeartBrand X is, is mature cows, cows that have lived their life out on the pasture that have been our breeding cows. So we we've take these these cows and, and basically repurpose them again at their end of their life to turn them into, to some of the best beef eating experience possible. Something that, you know, at Tris diners have, have, come to really love. So, so we take a cow that's roughly nine years old. We put her in the feedlot for about 300 or so days and then uh, send her
1: off to process. And then, and then there the beef goes off to Tris. All right. So before you introduced Heartbrand X, what happened to these cows that were kind of getting to the end of their yeah, before, life is breeders.
0: Yeah, typically a, uh, a cow that said its end of a breeding life goes on for hamburger meat. They, they go into just the regular commodity beef supply, and then predominantly most of the animal gets turned into, into hamburger meat. So so Chef really saw that even even more than I did, just the, the ability to take these cows and and add a whole other step and, and a highlight to their life of, of how they've given us so... Given back so much to us and, and then being able to highlight them at the restaurant has been really fulfilling for us.
1: All right. So Austin, let me, let me, let me bring this back to you then. Why, why did it even occur to you to want to harvest 10 year old cows in addition to the regular two year old cows?
3: So in 2015, I was watching steak revolution on Netflix. And uh, I mean, just to be honest and, and the best steak in the world was coming out of Spain from a 15 year old, uh, a bull. Uh, the guy was talking about how he slow feeds them out different grasses and grains over the years. And then he harvests them and cave, ages them. And I always, it always in the back of my mind, okay, this French guy saying that this steak in Spain is better than a five from Kobe. I've been serving a five since I graduated culinary school, you know, and, and, and always thought that was the, one of the best steaks you can, you can buy in the world. So it really intrigued me. Um, and then I got to thinking about it. Okay. What's the next evolution in beef? Here we have all these steakhouses, and okay, we can build a new steakhouse. We can, we, can, we can serve a different mac and cheese or a different potato and add lobster, but what, what is the next evolution in the beef business? And, uh, you know, it's, I got to talking with Jordan about it, and I said, hey, look, if we could raise an older animal in the States, this isn't commonly done here. I think this would be very different and very interesting. What I didn't know at that time and what I do know now is why are those animals being in ground beef programs? Well, the USDA won't grade intermuscular marbling after two and a half years. So there's no value to the rancher for a breeder cow, mainly because it's a no-roll stamp. It, it doesn't have a grade score. So if I tell you you're getting a select piece of beef at a high-end steakhouse, you're going to turn around and walk out.
1: So Especially when you try to charge me 50 bucks for it. Exactly. Or more than that.
3: Even. Exactly. So Jordan's idea, when, when we first talked about it, he said, we can't raise 15-year-old bull cows. I mean, it's just inefficient. So... When he came up with the idea to raise to take these mama cows that are giving back to life year after year after year, and when they stop breeding, we'll feed her out, and then it came back and the meat performed. I mean, everybody's scared of too much estrogen in the in the animal over the years, and that beef would be tough. And all I can tell you is Akaushi is just a different genetic. Uh, this this animal eats as good of any steak I've ever served in the restaurant, and, and sometimes better. Currently, the, steak, the, 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 the 10-year-old we have right now is outcutting everything on the menu, and we're doing these steak boards just to prove it. So we'll put all these different Creekstone 44, Heartbrand 100-day dry-age, Heartbrand 2-year-old, 10-year-old, A5, and everybody picks the 10-year-old because of the beefiness of it.
1: Yeah, you, you ran through that beef branding really fast. So when you compare the 10-year-old Heartbrand X beef to, say, I mean, like a traditional steak would be like a 28-day wet-aged, you know, 44 Farms, or Creekstone is the, the beef provider that, I, I think they supply corkscrew, right, among other Creekstone places? Creekstone does, yes, sir. So, all right, so so that's the steak that people are familiar with, or even just traditional USDA Prime that you would get in in most steakhouses. How does the Heartbrand X beef compare in terms of its flavor and texture?
3: So... When the animal is slowly fed out on grass year after year after year, they don't eat the grass as fast as they eat the corn. Is that correct, Jordan? That's right, yeah. So the muscle development becomes a little bit different. You get a lot more intermuscular flaky marbling instead of this intermuscular veiny marbling. What happens is is you get more flavor in that, A, and B, you get a softer bite most of the time depending on how it's aged. And then see that muscle's had a lot longer time to develop. So you end up with beefy. The best way I can describe this animal is what you love about dry age without the mold impartation. So dry age, you're looking for moisture evaporation, right, to concentrate the fat and the protein. And in that process, you get, inter, you know, intermuscular breakdown from enzymes. Well, and, and you're also getting a more flavorful steak. But depending on what mold you grow in your cabinet, uh, whether it's white or black or or how much mold, uh, you start to get notes of foie gras, blue cheese. And, you know, in my opinion, if I want a steak that tastes like blue cheese, I'll just put blue cheese on top of it.
1: Right. Or or, you know, I mean, I know that it's dry aging and the moisture comes out, but then, you know, sometimes they're too dry, right? They right. become chewy when you cook them and that's that's not really a pleasant eating experience. Yeah, either.
3: more like charcuterie. So yeah. This is beefiness out of a steak that's still wet aged. Um, we've been playing with aging on this animal. This is our fifth animal, right? Right. We've been playing with aging since animal one. And what we're doing with this is different, um, than even wet or dry. So we're hoof aging it for 30 days first, which is like what grandma did, right? So dry aging, a lot of people don't realize it, but dry aging was what started aging in beef before modern plastics and cryovac, wet aging didn't even occur. So Grandma harvested the animal or grandpa put it in a cold refrigerator and let it hang for 14 days. Right, the whole carcass. Correct. And that's a form of dry aging, but depending on your temperature and humidity, whether you get mold growth or not. So we just put this animal on a really cold walk-in. There is no mold growth. We just let it age for 30 days on the hoof. And And we should
1: say most dry aging is after the cow has been broken down into primals. Subprimals, yes, sir. Okay.
3: Yes, sir. And then, so we age the whole carcass on the hoof, and then we put it in in cryovac for wet age for another 30. So we've got 60 days age on this animal, but zero mold growth whatsoever. Um, And you need that for the older animal to break it down, in my opinion, to get that soft bite that you're used to from a well, you know, a prime steak. Uh, But you don't need that for the flavor. The beefiness is already there. A lot of beef, in my opinion, over time is – it can be a little watered down in flavor. You just taste like you're eating fat and protein. What I'm looking for and what I always look for in dry age was lower humidity dry aging where you got beefy. I want to taste caramel popcorn. Why is that? That's what the animal ate. It didn't eat blue cheese. So I'm, I, I've am i always been searching for that in a steak. And I think our dry age, you know, holds the national stage Um but how do we even achieve more beefiness? And 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 that's what we've been able to do with this 10-year-old, and that's why I'm so excited about it because a lot of people are turned off by dry-age because there's so many bad forms of it in the market.
1: Uh, yeah, takes the taste like blue cheese. It, it's uh, very much an acquired – like, e- even regular dry-age is an acquired taste, and then, like, that, like, blue-cheesy quality is, like, triple acquired.
3: Next level. You know, what, Tris, you know, GM Chris Perry, my partner there – and. Uh, the front of the house staff, Joshua and, and Dominique and Angela, we're, we're always, the sous chefs and I are always looking to give them another story. The story is what the guest leaves with. And then if you back it up with eating experience, then you hit the home run. So that's the overall dining experience. That's what Tris is. It's not just about food. Um, but when you go out to the table and you say that we've highlighted a, a breeder cow, mama cow's life, instead of putting her into a no roll ground beef that's in like bag truck stops and and, you know, prisons. So we, 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 we took that, that cow that gave back to Evolution. We fed her out, and we're highlighting her life, and we're serving her now a fine dining restaurant, and it's outcutting the other steaks that are next to it.
1: When you say outcutting you mean out-selling?
3: Out-cutting, we, put it, we won't serve the 10-year-old without side-by-side by siding it. Okay. So we put it next to uh, his steaks, his other 2-year-old and 100, 100-day dry-age, Akaushi, we put it next to all the other different steaks depending on if you get the steak board, side side-by-side so you can see the differences. I want to make sure every time someone eats a 10-year-old, they have something to compare it to. Um, and when I say it, it, it's the one that's chosen. We always go back to the table. Hey, what's your feedback? What do you think? And I would say 80% of the time they pick the 10-year-old.
1: Okay, so so Jordan, let me. does Austin's success with this program lead you to think that there could be a market for this at other steakhouses across Texas?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, people call me about this that don't call me about normal stuff. So, I mean, I think all the time when you get something new and something that that people are excited about leads to ideas of of possible success at other places. Just the thing is, this takes a really long time to develop. You know, you can't make more
1: next month. You know, not even... Right, this is like trying to age whiskey, right? Like if you you don't don't have it, if it's not in the barrel already, it ain't going to be ready.
0: That's exactly right. So it's a very, very slow process. And, uh, and you know, chef has so much that, that he, that his needs are going forward. So it's going to be a real slow process before anybody else comes out with, with large volumes of this, of this
1: product. But yeah, Yeah, I mean, how, how do you want to kind of see this program grow? I guess. Yeah, I, I think somewhat the consumers will tell us that as well. But
0: but if, if consumers continue to demand this program and continue to ask for it, I'd like to continue to get the consumer what they want. I mean, that, that's my ultimate satisfaction in selling beef, is to provide the best beef-eating experience possible. And if people want more of this product, I think we need to – I'm going to try to continue to make more of it. It's just we can't make more of it quickly. So, I mean, it's it's a very
1: long-term process to right. get a 10-year-old cow to the plant. Right. So, so far – I. Get- Austin, you said you're on your fifth cow. Yes, sir. How? So I take one a month, okay,
3: roughly, uh, and I've and I've got it staged right now to where I should never run out. So I, I stalled it for about thirty days after um, after I announced it with him, so I could get production to where I would always have a cut of it when you come to Tris. So, I mean, do people have a choice? Like, do they can they get a no? Okay. What I'm running for the night is what I'm running. I run the middle meats, and then I run uh, sirloin flap. Uh, We do some tri-tip, chuck flap, um, flat iron, and then um, uh, short rib brisket. Uh, Me and Mr. Will Buckman, of course, have been playing around with, which is something else to talk about.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, can you you smoke a 10-year-old brisket? You can.
3: You absolutely can. Um, It's different. It takes heat different. Um, So... I'll leave the the brisket smoking up to William, but, uh, we're, we're definitely, we're definitely, I'm saving those for me and him to do things with them in the future because, uh, the flavor of this animal is so different. You know, I think, I think the brisket portion of it will be unbelievable.
1: And then do you anticipate like additional dry aging for this or, or is it kind of, do you, do you feel like that would be too much?
3: Well, I think dry age is the next step in the program. Um, it won't come from me. Um, I, I, I think this is gonna evolve the meat business. I think you're gonna see other ranchers start to do this. Uh I think I think this provides value for, or for a product that they don't have much in and obviously people are gonna jump on board. But um I don't have a need to, to dry age this animal. I I have his dry age beef already. I think this animal is uh just really, really good on its own. And I don't wanna scare people off with dry age because I am finding as as we go and you know, the steak business evolves People are ordering more wet aged steaks and dry aged in my business. I know that doesn't happen in everybody's, but five years ago, that's all I sold. Now it's very different.
1: Five years ago, you only sold dry aged, mostly. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously there are steakhouses that only serve or primarily serve dry aged beef, right? Um, that have you know they dry age basically everything that comes in, other than filets, because who cares? Like, yeah. it doesn't help the filet really, right? Um. Are you hearing from other chefs? I mean, you got some you got some love from Daniel Vaughn in Texas Monthly for this already. Um, did that, like, inspire other chefs to contact you and ask you about it?
3: Yeah, a lot of people are. Um, but, Eric, it's kind of hard for people to wrap their brain around it. They think 10-year-old means 10-year-aged. They think this is a new form of dry aging, you know, and it's not just 3, chefs. 3,000-day dry yeah. age. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's not just chefs. It's a general—it that was really hard for us to get this story out because people don't comprehend— uh, what 10-year-old animal means, and they don't really know how beef evolves in the process. So a lot of people don't even know that animals are taking it two years. So the more I explain it, the more people are like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. Uh, but you have to give them the full story or they don't understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, how hard has it been to kind of educate your customers about what you're doing? Because I think, I think you're right. I don't think people know very much about how old a cow is when it's harvested.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. The front of the house has their work cut out for them, but it gives them a talking point. It gives them something different in the beef business that ha- I mean, it hasn't changed in years, right? I mean, you can have dry age or wet age, and here are the different cuts off the animal. Um, so we're we're currently serving all the ten year old in our in our beef in our ground beef now. So all of our burgers coming out of the kitchen are this animal as well. Uh, I haven't even announced that today. I, I really I haven't we haven't been telling the customer that. Uh, but we're grinding it all in-house I use the beef tallow that I get off this animal I have we're working on our own grind um, we're really close to it being what I think is the best grind I've ever put out um, but we're we're more focused on using the whole animal giving back to the industry helping Jordan use something or take this animal and get more value out of it and then let people know that you know these animals do exist and and they have a great eating experience
1: yeah and Jordan let me just the other thing I, I wanted to ask you about is, you know, people are more interested now than ever in kind of where their food comes from and how it's raised. I mean, have you seen an increased interest in this product over the last, just your regular Akahushi over the last however many years?
0: Our regular HeartBrand program? Yeah. Yeah, our, our regular HeartBrand bro- program grows has been growing extremely well, you know, kind of 20, 25% year over year. So I think that's a, a huge benefit, you know, as storied beef grows and as people want to know where their product comes, I think just the overall heart brand program as a whole has huge benefit from that as we're very fortunate to be in an extremely dense population area between Houston, San Antonio and Austin, our ranch is right in the middle of those. So we're very local for some very large cities, uh, very large and growing cities. So, so we're, we have a huge benefit from that. We're all natural. So people are really excited to, feed all natural products and it's highly marbled and extremely flavorful so i think that's a lot of what a lot of the growth has been for yeah and is it primarily sold in texas the biggest markets are in texas but we do export some even internationally and then we send some to california and some to the northeast as well but texas is our largest market all right and
1: i know i know austin doesn't want me to ask this but what other houston restaurants sell this this beef to people obviously the Heartbrand x is exclusive to trist but but where where else can people find the regular Heartbrand?
0: Just our our tip our um, I hate to say it, our normal Heartbrand products. So yeah. yeah, so we sell it at, at Vic and Anthony's has it, Papa Brothers has it. So quite a few other different places. Barnaby's has it, uh, Burger Palace right here has it. So there's there's quite a few other places that have the Akaushi beef here locally in town.
1: So what are your kind of goals for for Heartbrand overall? I mean, where do you see it? Where do you see it going?
0: My goal is continue to build the Akaushi breed. Continue to get this great beef out to. Of people across across the country, and um, you know, w- with regards to the Heartbrand X and the ten year old program, we're still gonna have to see where it goes. I mean, it's been very successful with one chef in one market. So the next thing we need to do is see if it's successful with somebody else. I mean, Austin here is extremely talented and has a love for it. We just have to make sure that somebody else can have that same success with it. So, so I think. You know, we'll try and find somewhere else, somewhere outside of, of the Houston area to try and see if they have interest with the product and see if where it continues to grow. But I, I think our, our heart brand is going to be, continue to be the mainstay of what we do. I mean, it's, it's going to be the, even more than the 80-20 rule. I mean, it's going to be the 95-5 rule. I mean, what, what we do and what most of our product out there is going to be traditional heart brand beef and, and what most consumers continue to ask for.
1: And then, Austin, let me, let me bring this back to you. I mean, Trist has been open for about a year. What are your kind of goals for the next year, both with kind of the beef program and, and some of the other things you're working on?
3: Yeah, you know, I, these boards have, these state boards have really taken off for us up there. Um, I'm going to do an All-Texas board next. So I'm working with Unique Meats. is a new uh, uh, wild game provider. Um, they're hunting ranches here in Texas for guy, axis, black buck, different exotic species. Um, kind of on the ground floor with these guys. They're starting this company. They're doing awesome things. And so uh, I envision our next board will be four different types of Akaushi, uh, Texas quail, uh, Neil Guy antelope, uh, axis venison. And then um, we are taking all the tomahawks we can get from this Texas Embirico program, uh, Acorn Seekers. So it's the first bone off the, off the rib. And you, you get three different muscles on the long bone. Um and so we'll have another harvest of those next month. So uh, in my opinion, that's the best pork chop on the market. I have never eaten anything like it. It's like eating pork steak. Uh, and so our next evolution will be all Texas on this board. Um, but I think going forward at Tris, I mean, we're just kind of riding the wave right now. We're just blessed that we're as busy as we are, and we have the team that we have putting out the product that we have. So uh, my goal is to help the industry. I want to leave a legacy through helping – Jordan or the Unique Meat guys, Matthew or or anybody that I can to help them create more value for their products, so I have a better story to the guest. That's that's my biggest goal.
1: All right, and then I, I can't let you I can't let you come all the way to the gallery here without asking you. Uh, when are we going to see an Austin Simmons restaurant inside the Loop?
3: I'm coming to Houston. I want to be here. Uh, Houston's been awesome. They've they've supported me. Uh, if you want to call it North Houston or South Dallas, I like to call it the Woodlands, but uh it's Houston, you know so uh i, I want to be in the loop i do um i'm blessed to have really two good really rest- two really good restaurants in the woodlands right now, and uh i want to make sure they're where they need to be before I venture south but i, I
1: it's inevitable for sure eric yeah i want the i don't want to have to drive thirty miles for the pancakes at the kitchen anymore i understand i'm just i'm just putting that out i'm just you you know how i feel i'm putting it out there in the universe i i want I want to drive five miles for the pancakes. The new pancakes that are coming out two weeks
3: from now, you're, you're not going to want to drive 30 miles for either.
1: <laughs> I like the sound of that. Um, all right. I, I always end these interviews with something I call the lightning round. Uh, five easy questions, five short answers. Um, Austin, you've played this game before, but we're going to do it again anyway. And Jordan, I'm going to, I'm going to start with you. What is your favorite cookbook?
0: I don't have cookbooks, man. I don't read. I mean, I, I, I just cook real basic beef stuff. And my, my, my favorite cookbooks Call My Mom. I mean, that's,
1: that's my That's, a, that's a great answer, actually. Austin, how about you?
3: I mean, currently, my favorite cookbook has always been uh, anything from Thomas Keller, period. Uh, but currently, I'm reading uh, both Aaron Franklin's book, his steak and his barbecue book. Cool. So I was, I'm liking it. Uh,
1: Jordan, what's the first band you ever saw in concert?
3: Probably George
0: Strait.
1: Austin, what's the last movie you saw in a the theater?
3: Oh, my wife's going to kill me. I can't answer this. I
1: can't remember the name of it. I couldn't tell you. Uh, Jordan, what is your fast food guilty pleasure It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru? Oh, McDonald's. Quarter pounder with fries. Really?
0: Yeah, I like McDonald's. They got 10-year-old yeah. yet? No, they can not But hey, it's fresh <laughs> now. It's
1: <laughs> so Austin, how about you?
3: Favorite drive-thru. Man, I, it's still Taco Bell. I mean, it's still the same name as last time.
1: Jordan, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present?
0: So I don't watch Houston News. We watch San Antonio where we come from. Oh, no. but all right, I have so who's say, your favorite
1: Spur Oh, Tim of all Dun- time? Tim Duncan. Austin, you grew up in Dallas. Who's your favorite cowboy of all time?
3: Uh, Troy Aikman, for sure.
1: And then finally, Jordan, when you go to a pizza place for the first time, what is your go-to pizza order to, to gauge whether it's a good pizza restaurant?
0: Meat lovers with extra cheese, add, add mushrooms, and add uh, onions. Austin, how about you? Oh,
1: man, I like
3: I like just cheese pizza. If I'm trying to judge the best pizza, just just give me cheese and your sauce and your crust.
1: Jordan, give us the website for Heartbrand Ranch. How can people follow you guys? Yes,
0: sir. Yeah, www.heartbrandbeef.com.
1: And then uh, Austin, give us the website for Tris and all of that.
3: Triswoodlands.com, Curate.com, uh, and then we have the kitchen. com, the KitchenWoodlands.com as well. So uh, all three concepts are still. Still doing well, sir. We all look right. forward to seeing you.
1: Yeah. Gentlemen, thanks for doing this. Our pleasure. Yeah. Our pleasure. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Esandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. As always, I appreciate your rating and your comments. But like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.